it's not picking up the signal. Yeah, I can add this later. Anyway. Yo, what up, what up, what up, what up? Welcome back to the world-renowned Poet Up Podcast. Season three. Season three. We are back in the building. Uh, bigger, deafer, stronger. No? Now keep going. That's all I got. I'm okay. your boy, Maul Chi. What's up, Jay Ward? What up, what up, what up, what up, what up? So, I, I'm not going to do the AKAs and the nicknames. I might do it later this season, but like I feel like right now I would be overshadowed because we're in the presence of Supreme Chancellor OG Freshwater, <laughs> AKA JG, AKA JG the Juggernaut. Yep. And all those names are, you know, frankly, better than anything I could come up with right now. Uh, but I will stay, JG. You can yes. ask me later what Yellowstone stands for. Yeah, I will do that. <laughs> I right. will most certainly do that. Yellowstone was my MC name ah. back in the days when I wasn't MC. Makes sense. What's up, Blues? Yeah, I, hey, y'all. <laughs> Just, he did the whole fucking JG. Yeah, thing. I was gonna I was say like, I like the way he stepped all over what yeah, it's blues not, usually nah. does. Blues nah. is here too, ladies and gentlemen. In the flesh, <laughs> in the flesh, this is blues. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to season three. Um, we're here. I think I'm down a little bit because these blue moons are terrible. These blue moons, terrible. Moon haze. Shout out to Blue Moon if you're out there listening. Don't do this again. <laughs> don't, don't. This shit was a failure. And I love Blue Moon too. That I, makes me very sad. I, I, I felt like I shouldn't have got it, but I was like, let's try something. It's season three. Let's try something different. Yeah. This is like when they killed James off a good time. Shit was just not right. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? And this but specifically is Moon Haze. Moon Haze. Haze. Right. Uh, we're sitting here, of course, with Buffalo Trace on the table. Um, and we got, what is this? Wood. Woodford. Woodford Reserve. Woodford Reserve. So the whiskey drinkers out there, you know what that is. But also, like uh, Jay Ward said, we're sitting with the one and only um, Mr. J. John Gibson, a.k.a. <laughs> that's right, I do governments. <laughs> yeah. A.k.a. JG, a.k.a. Juggernaut, a.k.a. Motherfucker, I got an Emmy. What you doing with it? Hey, so he here with us, man. What's going on? Hey, man, it's good to be here. It's, it's great to be here. I'm happy, I mean, honestly, to be able to catch the event last night and then be here. Like, this was, because I listened to the podcast. Like, I've listened to the podcast before. Nice. And so, oh, shit. You Fourth know, person? And I remember, second. I remember thinking, like, <laughs> Yes. I was like, man, I would love to do this, but when am I ever going to be in North Carolina? And boom, here I am. So God says, say less. Yes. I'll put you in a situation where you got to be down here for a couple of days, man. A few days, yeah. Doing your real job and doing your real job. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. what, that's what's up. Yeah. So, man, uh, tell us where you're from. Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Columbus Ohio. Ohio. It's home. I was born in Akron, but I was a military kid. So I lived in California for a few years, and I lived in Colorado also before my family settled in Columbus. What branch? Um, Army. Okay. Yeah, my pops was Army, and so we were stationed at Fort Ord, uh, Northern Cali, and then uh, uh, Colorado, we were at an Air Force base. And then, um, you know, Colorado was an interesting experience. Uh, it was like, my life was like the movie The Wood. Like, I was like Big Mike moving into gang mm -hmm. territory. Like, Colorado was extremely gang active in the early 90s. Yeah. Extremely. Yeah. It was just like Compton, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, actually, the skating rink that... Remember in uh, Just Like Compton when DJ Quick was talking about the skating rink that he had the party at? Mm -hmm. It wasn't far from my house. Oh, wow. Yeah, it wasn't far from my house. I was actually living there when that happened. Oh, shit. Yeah. So... All I heard was this nigga's gang affiliated. <laughs> That's all I heard. It's like I've been gang affiliated since I stepped on the turf. All right, so 
uh, young kid, military kid, mm-hmm. uh, army brat, if you will, yeah. moving around. Um, when did you discover that you could write or that you even wanted to write? Like what, what got you to writing? You know, I, I don't, I was always, I th- it was a fifth grade project. Um, I had to write a story. Mm. Um, and I wrote this story about this fictitious basketball league for kids. And literally, like, I had illustrations that that I was tracing from my homeboy because he was a much better artist than I was. And I had this illustration. And I told this whole story. And it wound up um, being displayed, like, in City Hall. Oh, shit. Um, you know, it was like it won this, like, writing competition with a couple of other writers. And so, I, you know, my mom told me when I was a kid, like, you're going to be a writer. That's what you're going to do. And I was like, and I'm playing football. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Mom. <laughs> right. I'm a, and so, like, but I love to write and I love to read. Like, I read, like, uh, Waiting to Exhale when I was, like, 15. I read, like, the autobiography of Malcolm X <laughs> Wait, when I was let's, let's stop. <laughs> let's, let's stop. Waiting to Exhale at age 15. So my grandmother had given my mom a copy of Waiting to Exhale and said, hey, you need to read this before... Uh, the movie comes out because the movie is coming out and it's a really good book. And my grandmother gave it to my mom and my mom never really picked it up. And so one day I just picked it up and I read the first page, then the first chapter, then the first group of chapters. <laughs> and before wow. you know it, I read the whole book and I was like, yo, this was really good. So I was actually at the movie watching it like, no, that ain't what it looked like in the book. <laughs> I was that kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and so all of that reading and listening to rap music. You know, listening to rap music, I think everybody, you know, you listen to rap music, eventually you're going to wind up in some freestyle sessions. And I start realizing, okay, my vocabulary is a little better than everybody else. I know a few more words. Right. Okay. I understand a little bit, a little bit of slant rhyme. I understand a little bit of this and that. And so I really didn't start writing poems seriously until I was like 25, though. I was like 25 when I started. What Do you remember like your first serious poem? Yeah, I do. And I, I'm going to tell you why I remember it. Because I had been writing, like, stuff, and it was like, oh, I was okay. Like, I would be in the back. I was a dude that I would be. I was a football player in college. So I would be, like, in the back of the class, and I would zone out, and I might write something. And it would be like, oh, okay, this is all right. So about 2004, I think it was, I wrote a poem called 101.0. And it was a critique of black music and radio. And um, when I finished it, I was like, yo, this is good. And so I called my brother. And um, my brother, I read it to my brother. He's like, oh, man, you got to let my boy hear it. So I let his boy hear it. Shout out to Graffiti Jones. And the first thing his boy said was, y'all need you to record this on my album. I'm going to text you a number, and you call that number when I text it to you. And so literally, like, I went from reading this poem to him to, like, three days later. They were, they had, he had me in a studio recording it. I knew nothing about recording it. Nothing about really poetry. I'd never even been to an open mic before. Oh, shit. But I was recording this poem. And I still, like, will say that poem in set sometimes. Like, because it's still, it's still, res- it's still, it's still relevant. And so, um, you know, basically, Graffiti Jones literally dropped the album. And here's my voice. And I'm like, yo. And literally, that's kind of where the start of. Then I was like, okay, so maybe I need to find an open mic. And so I wound up, and there's always a woman in the story, right? There's always a woman. <laughs> that's the only thing I was waiting on. I was, like, I was waiting for the woman to show up. All right, keep going, keep going, keep going. So I was working at the welfare office at the time. I'm like 25 Interesting. years old. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, I'm okay, working at the welfare going. office. And so <laughs> I um, there's a woman there, and she's beautiful, like just you know, tall and you know, long hair. And is she on welfare? I know she's not on welfare. Okay. Nah, she works. She's a coworker. Uh-huh. And so, 
you know, I used to flirt. She came back into my office one day and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm writing a poem. She's like, I'd love to read some of your poetry. So I send her a couple of poems. And she's like, Hey, do we have porn music to cue up? Right now? <laughs> I feel like, no, right. And so she comes back to my office and she had printed out one of the poems. She was like, You have to come to my show and read this. And I was like, You have you have a show? She's like, Yeah, I host the open mic. And so I was like, Well, you know, she this is a challenge now. Like, you know, I get a chance to spend more time with you. Right. I gotta go. So you know, poetry I for went. evil. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. So I went and I went like every week. She and I wound up dating for a while. She didn't last. Poetry did. Hey. That's usually how it goes. Uh but between <laughs> between the I don't even know what he played, but I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh between that savant style entry into uh into poetry and to like this hip hop album, and then this this chance encounter, not really chance because she works there, but huh. like this chance meeting that she happens to be running a show, it feels like poetry is is pulling you. Always. I, I always, you know, I joke around and say I'm retired all the time. But it's like it's literally like it's who I am. Like I can't get away from it. Like I say, you know, I do a lot of things to to live, but poetry is what I do to survive. Like, you know, eventually the pen always comes back to my hand, no matter how long it goes away. It always comes back. There's always something relevant. It's always that moment where it's like, no, sir, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Your mom told you when you were 10 that you're going to be a writer. You're going to sit here and you're going to write something. So, yeah. What's the, I guess, first poem your mom's heard you do that wasn't when you were a kid? Like, Ooh. when she was like, oh. Well, I think she heard the 101.0 poem from the album. She definitely right. heard that. But I think... For her, it was when I did Mama Called Me a Motherfucker, I think, would have been the one that really was like, because like, my mom's not a crier, but that made, that broke her down to tears. Like, oh, wow. You know, she was just like, oh, my God, it's so true. It's so true. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've had this conversation where we realize our parents haven't really heard us do what we do until we were mm -hmm. like adults. And they're like, oh, you're actually kind of kind of good at this, you know. You're not you're not just a little asshole running around writing shit. So you broke your mom down. How how was how like did your was your dad like was he pushing you more towards football or? I, you know, my family is athletic, man. Like right. you know, honestly, like when I said I'm gonna do poems, they looked at me like football. Like, <laughs> so I mean, when I say my family is athletic, like my mother has two younger brothers. And my mom's the oldest. She has two younger brothers, but both of them were world-class track runners. Like, my, my mother's middle brother was the world record holder in the 400-meter dash. Oh, nice. Wow. He still is the – he's still on the 4x4 relay world record team. Um, he was a contemporary of Michael Johnson. Oh, okay. So, pre-Michael Johnson, my uncle was the world record holder. Um, actually, he has a 30 for 30 documentary coming out soon. His name is Butch Reynolds, so check that out. When wow. It comes. wow. So, yeah, it's coming Dope. out soon. Um, but, yeah, um, so – Sports is big, like you know. And the word on the street is, if you ask anybody in my family, though there are two world class track runners in my family, my grandfather is the best athlete of them all. Is mm. what they've told. I've been told he can throw a football. Uh, he used to be able to throw a football a whole city block. Is what I was told. Sheesh. But my grandfather today is eighty three years old. He's still six three ish, 
and he still and he has the biggest hands I've ever seen. Like he's literally got dinner plates for hands. Like oh, literally. Man. Like he can, you know, still bowls, you know, like crazy. So sports was huge in my family and on my father's side, you know. Uh sports was huge. So it was it was not so much they were pushing me towards sports and pushing me away from. I never really showed an interest in art because that's not what football players did. Mm-hmm. Um it wasn't until, you know, I got done playing football that I realized, wait a minute, I'm actually a pretty good artist too. Like I before poetry, honestly, this is the honest goodness truth. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Hmm. Honest to goodness truth. Like I'm talking about it. I'm talking about recording Damon Wayans on HBO, Robin Harris, um, you know, all of the Eddie Griffin. I, I remember watching all those guys and I watch them over and over and over again. And I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. It's just poetry happened first, and now I'm terrified to get on a, a stand-up comedy comedy <laughs> stage. Because <laughs> this shit is hard as fuck, man. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's super hard. Um that's amazing though. Like to have such a lineage of sports in your family and you still, you leaned into it, but there was that calling for, you know, to be able to write and, and all those things. Did did any of your teammates, like, especially in college, find out like, oh man, JG can write, yo. I need you to write something for this girl for me. <laughs> like, nah. 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 So you should have been, I, that's I, how your scholarships get put up. That's how I got, that's how I got paid. Right. <laughs> nah, I think there was a few things. Um, my, my freshman year, again, not me not thinking about poetry, because the first time I ever read a poem in public was actually at my parents' wedding. I was nine years old, and my mom found this poem in a book, and I literally read the poem at, in the wedding. But my freshman year in college, we had a – Rookie night, where they kind of haze the rookies, and it's your job as a rookie to entertain the older guys. And so I read a poem called No Reps, because I literally was getting no reps in practice at all. I was sitting <laughs> on the sideline. just doing And, you know, through the years, I had one homeboy, Double uh, A. His name was Aaron Alexander. And he used to be like, man, JG, you need to write down your stuff. You are you good. You need to write down your stuff. He used to say that to me, and I'd be like, man, I ain't even thinking nothing about that, dude. And he was right. <laughs> Shout out to Double A, man. But no, like that literally, that was the homeboy that really was like, you need to do this, you need to do this. And so when I did it, he wasn't surprised at all. He was like, I've been telling you, you need to write this stuff down a long time ago. Like, how far would you have been? I was like, you're right, you're right. Yeah, man, they be, they be the ones right next to you be telling you what to do. You'd be like, I ain't even fucking with you in this shit. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what position did you play in football? I was a running back. Oh, yeah, I was a running back. I was I was a running back. Um, you know, played some fullback. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of running back. Great pass protector. Run you over. Wasn't gonna run past you too much. But, Derrick uh, Henry. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, I didn't have that. Didn't have that size though. Well, I mean, that size. But you know, no, definitely, I was you know a power back. Like I could, you know, I was not big enough to be your you know your blunt force fullback, uh, but not fast enough to actually be your you know your all day tailback. I was a tweener. But, you know, I got it in. Like, you know, honestly, like, you can actually YouTube me and find some football highlights. That's exactly what I'm going to find. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I had the I had the, the good fortune to play for Urban Meyer. Like, Urban Meyer was my coach my senior year. Oh, shit. Yeah, like, I played for Urban. So, like, if you've ever heard the legend of Urban Meyer and you hear, oh, he locked the doors with chains and he pulled the, the, uh, the trash cans onto the field and players were quitting and throwing up, I survived that workout. Like, I, 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 I survived that workout. Like, it wasn't like, this ain't no joke. Like, I was there. I saw it. I lived it. And I have the scars to tell the story about it. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's some great Urban Meyer stories, definitely. Bruh, that's, uh, I almost want to dig into that a little bit. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> All right. So, playing under under that kind of, 
I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to use a torture, but no, that, that <laughs> discipline uh-huh. playing under that kind of discipline. Mm-hmm. Does that sort of show back up in your writing, especially when you start getting into slam and the regiment of practice and getting things right over and over again, do, does the football physicality click into the mindset? Um, when you're preparing for a show, I know you're retired and shit, but you know, when you was doing it, when you was out there doing it, I am not retired. I am for hire. Like if I, I got three rules. If I love you, I'll perform. Mm. If I love your city, I'll perform. If you're paying me a lot of money, I'll perform. <laughs> I like those rules. Yeah. 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 Those no, are some good um, I tell you what it's, it does because as a football player, you are used to correction. You're mm-hmm. used to someone telling you, hey, that's not right, do it better, do it again. And so when, you, when I finally got some coaching, shout out to Scott Woods, I was not afraid to hear that's not right, do it better, do it good, um, because that's where that came from. And I, I honestly, I think that's what's missing from a lot of poets, actually, is the, that fearlessness of I'm not perfect, somebody's going to tell me I did it wrong, and that's okay because I can get better from it. I mean, I think there's a lot, like when you talk about business people, the reason why there are a lot of businesses that like to hire former athletes is because they can take coaching. Like we haven't been coddled in that way where we mm-hmm. believe that we're great and above reproach because, you know, coach is always going to tell you that's not right. right. And, and so a lot of people can't handle that type of criticism, even though it's trying to make you better. So this leads me to this question. <laughs> when you fuck up, who was more terrifying to fuck up in football with Urban Meyer or fuck up in poetry with Scott Woods? <laughs> <laughs> Scott Woods is that nigga though. Like, <laughs> come on. You know what? I'm going to tell you like this. It was definitely urban. It was mm-hmm. definitely urban because Scott is so like, I, mean, I feel like when Scott puts that scarf on, shit's about to get yeah, real. Hey, was Scott, <laughs> hey, Scott, like, listen, like Scott, I'll never forget. I wrote this poem. Um, I was on a slam team with Scott in 2011. I wrote this poem and I was like, okay, this is a good poem. I like this poem. And I took the poem to Scott and he looked at it. He read it. He said, say it to me. I said it to him. He looked at it again. And he said, all right. He cut, he looked down about 12 lines. He put a red mark. He says, this is where your poem starts. The rest of this is irrelevant. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I know he did. (laughs) But I literally could not tell you what those 11 lines were to this day. Could not tell you what they were because he was right. You know, he was right. And I just accepted it and moved on with it. And I was looking for somebody that was Urban Meyer-like in his Mm -hmm. way. Because that's what Urban would do. Urban would be like, you know, I'll never forget. We we had some guys get in trouble downtown. Um, And Bowling Green is a small town, super small town. So, like, downtown is literally, like, walking distance from campus. Right. And so Urban was like, you know, if anybody ever gets in trouble downtown, um, I want to hear about it first. I want to hear about it from my team first. I don't want to hear about it from the police. Well, some kid gets in trouble. He's a freshman. Gets in trouble downtown. They go bail him out of jail. No one calls Urban. So the next day at practice, Urban comes in, and he is livid. Now, you never see the coaching staff during the summer. During the summer, you never see the coaching staff. Urban comes in, he's livid, and he's literally like, he tells the strength and conditioning coach, hey, look, they can't leave until they touch every step in this stadium twice. Damn. <laughs> it's a 35,000-seat stadium. Damn. <laughs> but 
that was Urban. So no, like when you, you when you screwed up with Urban, you 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 knew that the wrath was coming, especially that year, because his whole thing was he had to change the culture at Bowling Green, mm-hmm. and so he he was extremely hard and and like to the point where I remember team meetings where he would tell a joke and we wouldn't laugh and he'd be like. Come on, guys, that's a joke. And we'd be like, oh, <laughs> and go straight back to the street. <laughs> you know, because it was like, you know, we knew like there would be, you know, the worst thing to do was be like somebody to get caught loafing on like a special in special on special teams. Mm-hmm. That was like Monday morning, 7 a.m. The red pointers on you. What the hell are you doing right here? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my God, like not at seven o'clock on Monday, man. Right. <laughs> not to uh, mention I had to be here at 645. <laughs> so class nah, at 9 30. Yeah, exactly. No, like so you you know definitely urban meyer but you know scott was more scott is more like a you know columbus is a city as a for poetry that doesn't really rhyme and um i am a poet who in the beginning definitely was more rhyme than not Mm -hmm. and scott was one of the first people to embrace the fact that i rhyme and just say that's what you do go do that and it gave me power. But I also, at that point, was so tired of people saying, oh, well, you just rhyme, you just rhyme, that it forced me to learn how to write without rhyme just so I say, fuck y'all. Like, right, right. literally, like, I literally, like, I went out, and I, the first time I made a slam team, I, I I was like, I made it, and I did, like, two poems that didn't rhyme and one that did, and people was like, well, he just rhymes. It's like, motherfucker, was you listening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it was, I mean, honestly, Scott's kind of like that dude. It's like, he's going to nudge you and then let you just walk in your walk in their direction. Word, 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 word. Um, So you talked about how you kind of rhyme in most of your poems, so... Mm-hmm. When what was your MC phase? What was your hip hop phase like? I'm a rap. <laughs> I think every it. poet has their like I'm finna rap phase. I I'm, never had one. You never had a rap phase. You never had a rap ah, phase. Man, I never on. had a rap phase. Like I never had a phase where I was like I'm gonna be a rapper. This that and the third. Poetry happened before I have ever thought about that. Before mm, I ever thought no about way. it, poetry happened. So for me, it was, and then there were times like in that early phase, one of the things they used to always say to me and it used to piss me off was, when's the album coming out? You're a rapper, right? And then, oh. or, or it would be like, aren't you going to go rap? Wait a minute, there's a, there, there's a rap open mic down the street, aren't you? And I'll be like, no, I've never rapped before in my life. Like I literally have never rapped before in my life. And, um, but it's funny because, you know, I, I will cite, you know, Big and Jay-Z as two of my biggest influences and Heavy D, three of my biggest influences as a poet. Like, you know, but those dudes for me were just exceptional writers. It didn't matter. You could listen to Heavy D or Jay-Z or Biggie. You could listen to those guys a cappella, and it wouldn't matter. You'd still love it. I, and I think a lot of that has to do with their, like, how they could change their rhyme scheme. So, like, they mm-hmm. could rhyme where it didn't sound like it was rhyming, but it was grammatic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they could still do the A-B-A-B, like, mm-hmm. rap-type joint. I forgot what documentary it was, but they big, they were talking about how Biggie's rhyme pattern is patterned after jazz. It was the one, uh, the uh, notorious one with his mom on it. Yeah, it was the most recent one. The most recent one. And when they played that show, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. didn't hear it. Well, you know what? I, I remember this was before that documentary came out. Jay-Z did an interview on um, 60 Minutes, and Mike Wallace was like, Jay-Z, they say you have the best flow. What does that mean? <laughs> and First of all, that's the best Mike Wallace impression we've ever had we've on this show. We've never had on this show. <laughs> Fuck Flex Bomb for that. <laughs> 
and, and Jay Z <laughs> dropped like such a so much knowledge right there. He said, "Listen," he said, "You know, when I rap, I make my voice an instrument within the music." He was like, "You know, when you li- and then and it started to make sense. If you listen to jazz, Miles Davis ain't never followed the beat. Miles Davis did what Miles Davis did, and he made it fit with whatever the beat was." which is why he was able to go from the traditional bebop to when he create started creating fusion jazz. It, yeah, with the bitches brew. Yeah, exactly. I, listen, listen. And so, you know, when you go there, you know, like, so that's that's what Jay does, that's what Big does, but that's what I think us as poets do all the time. And we are basically solo instruments on stage because you could close your eyes and even not hear our words, but you could hear the boom, 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 boom. There's a rhythm to it, mm-hmm. and some poets just have the rhythm, and some don't. Yeah, I, I think I think that is a gem in itself. If if poets are listening, um, because I think we behind the scenes always laugh about poet voice and <laughs> you know things that happen. But if you're thinking about your voice as an instrument, it it will it will prohibit you from having what we call poet voice, yeah, which right. is very monotone and very predictable and very stereotypical. But if you're thinking of it as an instrument, come on, Ward, give us some poet voice. No, no, no. Come on, man. You can't talk about come poet on, voice and give on. us an example. Okay, come on. Hey, I can't stop myself from telling you right now what's about to happen when I smooth myself <laughs> on this night. We're about to take it on later tonight. Yeah. And you know what I see when I see you? Yeah. I see a... Trace of a buffalo coming through on the skyline. Oh, and you freestyling too. You freestyling, freestyling. <laughs> That's for our Ukraine listener, because he may not have understood <laughs> what poor voice was. But you know what I was thinking too? I was thinking too, like, not very many people put those three MCs in the same category, but listening to you explain that, I see why you do. Because Heavy D doesn't get a lot of love. He does he, not get the love he get, deserves. And he Heavy doesn't get a top three love. Yeah. He was yeah. proficient. Like, Heavy, like, he was my first favorite rapper. Like, Heavy D was my first favorite rapper. And, you know, I just think that, honestly, Heavy D is everything that women claim that Drake is. Like, mm-hmm. when you want to talk about a rapper who talked about women with love and respect, he is the rapper for the Me Too era. Like, Heavy D, there, there was never a disrespect. There was never a B word. There was never anything that came out of his mouth. There was very little toxic. Heavy's whole catalog is about his search for love. Like, and I was like, yo, like, it was like, you know, again, like, and then you add that to Pete Rock and Teddy Riley. Like, how can you not put Heavy D amongst the top rappers, especially from that era? And and I think if you're talking about cadence and if you're talking about uh, being an instrument, I mean, you can't ha- you can't listen to bun diddly 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 <laughs> without a doubt, and not think about how long were you sitting on that? <laughs> huh? You were excited to just do that part. <laughs> you did, you did. Yeah. 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 It was his light skin birthright. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> so you never, you never had a rap phase, which you know that's that's fine though because I think well the three of us have had at this table have had a rap phase or yeah, probably yes, still have. having yeah. a rap phase, but we I think we all figured out a way to sort of do both in terms of how we write and present and and like you say articulate uh, the way our voice becomes instrument. Do you? And I'm gonna I'm going to lean into voice here. Okay. When you started, uh, so you made this not not full transition, but uh-huh. you dabbled. You started dabbling in other things that 
required your voice, required your talent for talk, and <laughs> your knowledge for the game that you love. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, how often does that that cadence, that rhythm, show up in your sports announcing? Always. Yeah. I mean, it always does. I mean, I think it. And it, who are your influences from that? From that? Standpoint? Oh man! I mean, I think if you're black and you're a sports announcer today, it's got to be Stuart Scott's got to be on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Stuart Scott. Uh, you know, he was. Uh, there was a guy named Ronnie Duncan who used to be in Columbus, and he was, um, you know, very, very influential. Uh, he was a real cool dude. Actually, I, I got the chance to meet him like on the sidelines when I was a high school kid. And um, he went on. I don't know where he is now, but, you know, I think Stuart Scott, Ronnie Duncan, um, just being able to be black in hip hop. And I think that's kind of one thing that I do want to make want to make clear is that, yes, I'm a poet, but we are living in the hip hop era, just like there was a Baroque era, just like there was a beat era. Mm-hmm. You know, when they study this time from 100 years from now. This is going to be the hip hop era of poets. So there was going to be a hip hop poet, and we are going. They're going to compare the comparisons between the rappers and the poets of that era, right. and that's going to be a thing. And so, as a sports announcer, I'm still a hip hop dude, right? And so, you know, this it's not uncommon for me to quote Rakim on a game com- on, on in game commentary. It's right. not uncommon for me to bring some type of hip hop reference to it because that's truly who I am. And a lot of times, it's just apropos. Right. So you're working in in radio call for 15 years. You're doing some amazing stuff in and around sports, in and around television. At what point does someone say, hey, we're going to put in for an Emmy? What show was that for and what was the category? (laughs) So um, what happened is I I got a job in television uh, in Toledo, Ohio. And so the first year, Toledo was about two hours from Columbus. First year, I drove up and back, back and forth every week. Because it was supposed to be just football. And they was like, no, you're really good. So let's would you do basketball. I said, sure. And then they were like, you're really good. Would you do baseball? I know nothing about baseball. But I was there. I was comic relief for baseball season. That, that lasted one season. I <laughs> but I, football, basketball, I was there. And they were like, um, I was like, you know, I was like, if I'm going to keep driving back and forth like this, I may as well just go ahead and move. And I had no interest in moving up to Toledo. Toledo's about 20 minutes from Bowling Green where I went to college. Uh, small city, shout out to Toledo. Um, I just had no interest in living there. And, you know, but I went because I, I wanted the job on television. I wanted to create that that television uh, demo reel. And so I get there and I'm talking to some of the camera guys. And they're, you know, we're at this point, I've known these guys for a year. They're cool. And I mentioned something about having an album. And they're like, you have an album? What do you do? And I was like, I'm a poet. It's like, well, I'd love to hear your album. So I'm like, all right, here, let me send you the link. You can download the album. So I send him the link. He downloads the album. He forwards the link to everybody in the station. (laughs) 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 Secrets out, nigga. (laughs) (laughs) And so before I knew it, it was like, and so basically what wound up happening, it was like, hey, we heard you're a poet. Would you be interested in writing a poem for a commercial? Um, to would you be interested in writing a poem for a commercial and performing? I was like, sure. So the first one I did would have been the summer of 2017, and um, it was the pre it was early football season, uh, just a pr- football season preview. And um, uh, you know, I, I did it and went on and called football season, basketball season, and then when I came in for the next football season to record the next year's commercial, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, maybe we'll win the Emmy this year. And I was like, win the Emmy this year? What you talking about? It's like, oh, you didn't know. Last year's commercial was nominated for an Emmy. 
Wow. I was like, it was? No one told me. Right. Now, they, they never do. <laughs> they never do. Just, okay. Yes. <laughs> so I go to, um, so I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I was like, well, I want to be in on this process next time. So the next time we do the commercial, I thought this commercial was the bee's knees. I was like, this is the one that's going to win. This is amazing. Um, and so I, we, this time I joined the academy. Like, because mm-hmm. we had talked about this. You told me this when you was at my apartment. Yep. I joined the academy. Um, and I submitted, I paid the money to have it submitted for, for, uh, consideration. And they came back and I, I got an invitation. I was nominated for a second time and I got, I, I went and bought a tuxedo. I felt real grown man, <laughs> got me a date and I went to the Emmys and wow. I went to the Emmys. I, it was, uh, the, the, the Great Lakes regional Emmys in Cleveland. And so I was there. It's the 50th anniversary. I had a whole new respect for award shows because they're long and boring as shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was there and I didn't win. And I was like, OK, because um, they're so long, everybody leaves. So it's like, you know, we left and went and got drunk. So it was, you know, it was great. Like we were, but it was like an open bar. So I was toasted before I left. And the last thing I needed to do was drink more. And um, so the next year we come back. Uh, the first year we lost to the Indians. Second year we lost to the Cleveland Cavs. And then that third year, um, last year, um, 2019, we submit, go through the same process again. And this time it's COVID. So I'm like, man, I'm not going to the Emmys. Um, they're like, we're going to do a virtual ceremony. I'm like, yeah, I'm not trying to sit in front of a you know, computer. <laughs> it's like I got like an impromptu family, you know, gathering going on. So I'm going to hang out with my extended family. And I called my bro. I called my the producer. I said, hey, man, look, I'm not going to watch the show. I'm just going to check and see. And the next thing I know, he called me about an hour later. And he's like, you won an Emmy. I was like, what? You're lying. My family's around. Everybody's going crazy. I'm like, it was like I got drafted all of a sudden. (laughs) It was like, that's what it looked like. Like, oh my God, you won an Emmy. So I got to call my mom. Mom, I won an Emmy. Like, it was really cool. And like, I took all the pictures from the Emmys when I went year before. And I actually posted those. So y'all thought that I was really at the Emmys. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened with me. I was like, I wasn't. It, ours was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I was like, ah, I'm not going. You know, I don't want to drive all that way, put on this. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So I, and this was pre-COVID, so they telecasted it, and I went home, sat down, opened up my computer, logged on to see where they were at the show. <laughs> they had just come up to our category, and they said, and the winner is uh, Raycom Sports for, uh, 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 we did Blueprint, and it was the Duke Carolina game. Winners, I'm like, Oh shit! <laughs> oh, I'm the only one excited in the house, right? right. Everybody, and everybody comes in to see why I'm screaming. I'm like, I just want an Emmy. And they're like, All right, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, You motherfuckers, man! Right. Just, yeah, that's it. They just okay. moved on. I'm right. like, All right, so I'm glad your family celebrated you. Yeah, they celebrated. because my family was like, eh, Whatever, nigga. Yeah, yeah we we, we How care much not. that Emmy pay? <laughs> right, 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 right. Can we pawn it when you get it? Right. Like, Does that did you order move- pizza yet? Right, right. Are we moving to Bel Air or no? <laughs> so it's 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 an amazing feeling. Um, you get this award, you get this amazing trophy, you get it home. Me and Jay Ward wouldn't know anything about. Jamal, that. I know. <laughs> when we get nominated, the key is we're not gonna go to the ceremony. That's what you. If you anybody listening, when you get nominated, do not go. No, that's how go. you win. That's you know, don't, don't you fucking win. show up. Don't show and up. Sort of, sort of pseudo. Don't care. Like that's <laughs> whatever. Right. You know, you know I'm but, like you know, deep down inside, you, you want, you that, want thing. that win. Yeah. Um. So you you go through the the whole process, of feeling that you got the whole thing. What's next? Like, what's the next day for you? What does that feel like? And when you tell people. 
you know, are they ready to sing your praises or is it like business as usual, sir? You know what? I'm a, I'm, I'm going to say something that I've never said out loud. Um, it's the honest and the truth. And it's, it scared me. Um, winning an Emmy was terrifying. It was terrifying. And it was terrifying because you now have your validation, right? Mm-hmm. Here is a bunch of people who do not know you, who don't give a damn about spoken word, who ain't putting money in your bucket, who ain't trying to screw you, who literally don't know anything about you, who are now validating you. And that's that was a difficult question to ask. Like, what do you do next? Like, how do you top this? And I'm mm-hmm. still struggling with that. Like, honestly, like I'm I'm going to go. I'm I'm actually seeking therapists now to try to understand. Okay, how do you when you get that validation on that high of a level? How do you handle that? Like it's it was it was it, it was a it's been a struggle to a degree, um, you know, because it's like even when I won the Emmy, I was in the middle of like th- this is a true story. I wrote the poem and I was in class teaching a seventh grade and eighth grade creative writing. And so I read the poem to them. And they were like, okay, no, no, no. They helped me edit the poem. Like, so I, I you know, shout out to Horizon Science Academy. <laughs> you know, he they, might bring the Emmy bar one day right, to right. show you little right. Nick. Yeah. So, but nah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think that's, that's been the biggest thing. Like, you know, there are people, of course, everybody, like people believe you. And like, there's been a few people that've like stopped by my house and been like, that really is an Emmy. Like you have an Emmy. That's crazy. And I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, there's a lot of disbelief. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I really do. Like, right. You know, or I brought it home with me. I did a feature in Columbus back in May and I brought it home. It was like the venue that I used to host the Ness at. And so I, I brought it home and people were like taking pictures with it and holding it. And that felt great. Like just cause I mean, honestly, my city has supported me so much over the years mm-hmm. to be able to share that moment with them. It was almost like bringing the championship trophy back home. It was like, it, that was, dope um but yeah trying to figure out how to top that how to better that um trying to figure out how i can get a grammy i see you are on your way to grammy status now i need to get the e and the g of my e got that, that's trying, that's the trying to get there yeah. man i think we're all trying to get to that one yeah 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 i mean it's been so long that poets have been held out of the spoken word category so i, I was just about to say that yeah. like that's my biggest pet peeve with <laughs> with the grammys is the spoken word category is somebody reading a book well, you know, that's and that's the push now with the 100 griots to the Grammys. So there, uh, shout out to Brandon Alexander, who yeah. really kind of made the push. And then shout out to Sekou for, you know, getting getting another foot in the door and really setting that stone. And then just getting as many people to record an album and then submit it so that the Grammy recognizes spoken word as its own category, like poetry in yeah. that aspect. So, And can I add something else? So... Um, just, it's a little detour, but it's, it's about this. So one time I commented on a post that Fonte put about, uh, <laughs> being nominated for a Grammy. Uh-huh. And I was like, man, if I had a vote, I'd definitely vote for y'all. It was for a foreign exchange album. Hey, please leave, and, leave it all behind. It's my favorite foreign mm-hmm. exchange album. And tour, uh, the rapper tour, Torre or tour. I don't know how he pronounces his name. He commented on my comment, and he was like, you can. You can join your local Grammy Mm -hmm. affiliate and be a voting member. So that's another thing that we need to do. Well, and that's what we also have with, uh, oh, I cannot think of the brother's name. He's on the Donda album. He's a poet. Uh, You're talking about uh, Malik Youssef. 
not Malik. Um, God, I cannot think. I can see his face, but he is now in a position to to like a higher up position to, to accept albums and right. and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm pretty sure his name will pop up sometime later in the goddamn show, and I'll just <laughs> blurt it out. Just, right. like, just yell it. Right, right, like, right. What the fuck but, is talking about? Yeah. So I mean, Egot is is I think what we all strive for. Of course, that Oscar part. It's not hard to get, right? If no, you think about it, it's yeah. once you get what you have, right, and you say, "All right, I kind of got that fucking around." Right. If I really applied myself, I really focus, yeah, I can get to these next things. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? As in terms of, I mean, you you're you're doing the broadcast thing mm -hmm. naturally. You're you're a dope ass writer and spoken word artist. But what's your pivot? We talked about pivots with Ed and couple of other people, Ed pivoted to comedy and some other folks pivoted to another thing. Uh, aside from the natural ability to, to call a game, what, what do you think you want to do next? Oh man. That um, we don't know. Like, I feel like I, I've, I've been taking a stand up comedy class with, uh, I cannot wait to see a JG. with, uh, Dick Gregory, Dick Gregory's nephew, Mark Gregory. Um, I've been taking a stand up comedy class with him. So is he any good? Yeah. Like, he's, no, he's good. Okay. No, no, he's good. No, Mark. I is, feel like yeah. that's a lot of pressure. You just yeah. put on him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's Dick Gregory's nephew. Like, nah, 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 nah. Mark is actually, Mark is really good. He's from Dayton, Ohio. Um, and I've known Mark for like 10, 12 years. And so recently he started teaching a, a, uh, stand-up comedy course and I've been taking the course. And, um, unfortunately, like I have not been as diligent with comedy as I've needed to be because I've been transitioning with the new nine to five and all of that stuff. Um, so I think that that's a pivot. I, I think more than anything, um, I really just kind of, I think I've got the roads that I want to be in, um, uh, I, I'm working on a, I've got a couple of books I'm working on. Um, I've got another poetry album coming out that's literally done and in the can and it's been done and in the can for like a year, year and a half. And I've, you know, just been dragging my feet on putting it together because I, I want to do something special with this album. I don't want to just kind of throw it out to the masses like I've done my other albums. And um, so I think, you know, with the 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 spoken word album, I think the book, um, the book that I'm working on is, is, is it's, I mean, honestly, recently, like I was reading some of the stuff and it made me emotional. Like, man, you really need to finish this. I was in a space where it's like, you need to stop bullshitting with yourself and, and let's get this shit done, dog. And um, so I think that, but I, I do, of course, there's always the, that goal of, you know, getting to the ESPN calling games, um, you know, making sure that demo, demo reel gets into the right hands and getting to the ESPN calling those games and making sure that that happens is also a thing. Like I, I, I you know, other than like stand up comedy and really trying to, cause, and I think with, with, you know, I, I remember it was accredited to Dasha Kelly, you know, shout out to Dasha cause she's been so big and, you know, just encouraging me in her own way. Like she probably doesn't even know how much she's encouraged me, but, um, you know, it, it was a credit attributed to her as a, as a spoken word poet. Um, you know, you're always featuring. So it was, you're, you're always featuring. And so, you know, trying to figure out a way to add the sports and not, you know, not so much the sports, but even the sports though, cause I've written a lot of sports poems. Maybe I won't do sports commentary on stage cause that'd be boring as shit. <laughs> you know, I see myself commentating with people to do in the audience and the lady in the yellow dress drinks her <laughs> Hennessy. She's drunk as fuck. <laughs> That's her third Hennessy of the night. Nah. Um, but that should be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's it could be. Yeah, like, like, that sounds like a, a skit. Like it does sound like a skit. Like, no, you know, somebody commenting, 
joining the party. Like, do, do that for a spades game. <laughs> like, just oh, sit around man. the table and just commentate. Oh, you have to sit there. No, someone you, did that. Someone did that though. I think what Roscoe did was so important, and I think we need tromedy. more of that tromedy. with Tromedy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what he did. You know, I think honestly, like you know, I think honestly, in that, if we were going to say a pivot, that's it for me. I want to do a one man show. I want to do a one man show where I'm able to to show everything that I am. Nice. Where I can do some humor and I can, in COVID, like I had the idea, I still have the idea, but you know, you start tweaking extra stuff when you ain't got a chance to do it, but right. COVID has shut, shut a lot of stuff down. But, you know, to be able to kind of just sit down and be able to talk about, because I mean, even like in my stage performances, like you tell me I got a 30 minute set, first of all, I'm going to do 40. Mm-hmm. But fifteen to twenty of it is going to be me telling jokes. Like literally, it's going to be me poking fun at myself or the poems or whatever. Right. And so I think there's so many poets that do that. It's just time for us to start putting that into the public sphere. Like honestly, like slam. Unfortunate slam is great because it builds a name for you. The problem is slam does not allow the audience to see who you are. And poetry is not going to grow, in my opinion, until we have a Kevin Hart. Until we have an Eddie Murphy, a Richard Pryor, until we have a poet that shows everything that spoken word can be and everything that spoken word artists are, I think we're going to struggle because, I mean, we don't have that economic structure like comedy does. You go to a comedy club. How many poetry clubs do we have? Right. You have poetry night. Yeah, poetry night. Right. At the comedy club sometimes. Right. right. If you're lucky. Right. right. You know, but I think that's what it is. I think that, you know, there needs to be more of us that are pushing. This is who I am in my totality. You know, I'm funny. I'm serious. I can think and I can laugh and I like shaking booties. Like I like all of that stuff. (laughs) You know, I think honestly, we pigeonhole ourselves into one thing and the community does it. But I think we do it to ourselves a lot of times. But but I think slam is a pigeonhole. Yes. I mean, I, I love slam. But if you if you really think about it. Slam, you are telling, you are catering to random people who don't, <laughs> who don't know poetry. Yeah. That, that is, that is, that's the ideology that you pick your judges on, mm-hmm. that they don't know poetry and that they haven't come to a poetry slam. And then you're catering to them. Right. So when you talk about like a poet, um, we know a poet is funny. We know that poem is great. We right. also know that a random person off the street who doesn't like poetry isn't going to score it well. And then when you come, when you get the, um, when you get the peer pressure factor of a slam where a judge knows they're going to get booed, right? And they're they're gonna get booed based on this, then they're going to start catering to the same poems that you're telling them, that you're booing them on. So it's creating this chamber. It's creating that same pressure. Whereas spoken word, you can present yourself in totality. You can present yourself with funny poems because you're not judging against other people and you're not creating a vacuum in which you have to perform in a certain context. Hashtag features over slams. Word. Uh, when when uh, so we, we were talk- <laughs> my bad that was late but when we, when we were talking to uh, Candy Candy was talking about like radicalizing our our view of what slam is and and mm. changing these these ar- arbitrary rules that we take as granite right like, these are concrete rules that have been around since the what late eighties or whatever uh-huh. but that's not what slam has to look like well you know I've always felt like and in, in my venue I've never done random judges in slams. 
for me, I've always hand selected judges. I mean, Scott Woods is judged at my venue. That was hilarious. He gave somebody a three point two, <laughs> but he deserved a three point two, so it was great. But um, I, I've always believed, like, and the, the my favorite slams have always been judged by hand selected judges who were also entertainers and performers of some kind of way, because it doesn't allow you to hide. Like, you know, you might be able to get over on an audience on emotion, but if I'm also a performer, you can't fool me. Right. Yeah. You can't fool me. Because I know I know you're only doing this to get a score. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So is is the well, I guess there's no like right answer, but is is an answer like do we need professional judges at slams? I've always heard that argument that we do. I think we do. I, that's what BMV does. At some point, y'all have folks who, not necessarily professional judges, well, but they're professionals yeah. at what they do. I mean, because right. I'm always afraid of like Poetry Slam winding up like boxing with professional judges. <laughs> 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 I'm always terrified of that. But at the same time, no, I think people who, you know, comedians would be great judges for Poetry Slams. I feel like, you know, English professors would be great judges for poetry slams. I feel like other poets would be great judges for poetry slam. Like, I feel like poetry slam definitely, um, you know, maybe some of the, you know, some of the, you know, maybe somebody that's not like a Sherman Alexi that's not so much a stage poet, but yeah, yeah. they understand the art form. Yeah. I, I think that those are the poets that, those are the people that should be judging slams. I, I would love to see like a big money slam that is judged with that criteria because I think it would, it would alleviate a lot of the bullshit. I, me and Asia had this conversation. If we had ever won the lottery, how we would fuck up slam forever. <laughs> it's like we put a million dollars on the line, but all your judges are the most racist people you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> the most fucking racist Man. people you could imagine. Could all you? the mixed poets. Away. Oh my so God. <laughs> it'd be great. Is the, uh, and blues is boilermaker boilermaker mode. Um, so is the argument to that, is that uh is is the argument like because I too am a poet and maybe I like what you're doing, but I feel like I should have did it. So now I'm gonna score you lower. Haterism? Haterism? Haterism, yeah. <laughs> like is that is that a drawback to having I mean so you get five judges though. So yeah, you, uh, yeah. you can cancel the hater out. And I, I think also like you're not gonna go get someone who is an active slam poet either. Mm, like you would get may, yeah. or I mean but again like I, I every city has you know like Charlotte, I'm sure there's multiple universities here mm -hmm. that have English departments. And every one of those people are qualified to judge a slam because let's be real, you pull a random person, they haven't heard the word onomatopoeia since eighth grade. They don't understand alliteration. They don't understand the nuance. That's the problem right. with poetry is that the nuance of what makes what we do great yeah, yeah, yeah. is so obscure to most people. Yeah. And so, but if you bring people into this world that actually know why what we're doing is good, yeah. all of a sudden you're starting to see scores that are being more balanced. So does that, does that, like, would doing that make poetry a more not ex I guess accepted is the only word I can think of right now more so mainstream more yeah like would 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 doing that <laughs> at a slam level like because now we have a baseline mm -hmm. so like it has to be at least this 
would that make poetry and slam poetry and spoken word more acceptable where people don't have to, oh, I started out in poetry, but now I rap because rap is an acceptable art form. Yeah, I mean, poetry is an acceptable art form. It's not a well-paid art form. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess that's what I meant. Yes, you're right. You're right. It's, it's yes. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I question whether slam is the pivot. Like, I question whether, if we're talking about whether spoken word poetry comes into its own and has mainstream value, I question whether slam is the vehicle to do that. I don't think it is. It is, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because think of all the slam competitions you've seen on television. They all have this, well, let's get to meet this poet and go into their life and understand their struggle and where they're going. Fuck all that. If you've ever watched The Voice, you don't get to that shit till the end, end. of yeah. the show. Yeah. If we did a slam and it's just the competition, 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 <laughs> and you see how scores are done, all you're invested in now is the score and how they get to that score. And then you want to get to the personal part of that. Mm-hmm. So if, and I only say this because it's something we're working on, is if you cut to the heart of the actual competition, the actual adrenaline rush, the actual action of the shit, then you're invested into what's happening and you could care less sort of about the poet until the end, right? Until the person who's won, like, yeah, I won. And I'm also battling hamster cancer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, want, I want to build off of that, though. Right. I want to build off that. So if you look at The Voice or you look at America's Got Talent or you look at That's American Idol, those judges are experts in their field. Mm-hmm. And often what goes well with the crowd is not what they judge by because they know singers mm-hmm. and they know entertainers. So your favorite, your favorite singer might not make the next round because they're looking at it like, nah, they didn't move me. And, yeah. and then they, they get to the technical proficiency. And once they get to the top 10, they've also schooled the audience. They've also schooled the people at home on what makes this person good and what they're looking for. So by the time they get to their top 10, everybody is judging differently at home now. Now people are looking like, yo, they really hit that run. Yo, they stuck to the melody instead of going off like they normally do. They, they, they do these things more technical proficient. It's education. It's education. Yeah. And I think, I think if it's done that way, then yeah, I think people can get behind it and understand the actual talent behind spoken word artists. So do but we it, think- it, but it, to your point, it goes from they sang a song and they were judged. And then you find out why they were judged, how they were judged. They sang a song, then they were judged. You find you you get bits and pieces of a story because maybe that's just for production wise. But the reason why it works is because JG did a poem, I judged him, and I tell you why I gave you the score I gave you. So you can you can get all those aspects if we go to the professionalism of right. an English professor or whatever and get a poet. But I think that has to be the 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 formula for it. We can't, <laughs> what you cannot do is allow a poet to produce a poetry show because it will be shit. Yeah. And you know that because you've seen producers who have mm-hmm. zero fucking clue about what we do, mm-hmm. but they're very good at producing a goddamn show that yeah. people want to see. Well, I, I mean, Scott Woods would be my Simon Kyle. Like with the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he would Simon be. Cow. I feel like he'd be the Urban Meyer of fucking poetry. <laughs> Simon Cow poetry. He'd be like, let me. 
scarf flip. Let me tell you why. <laughs> exactly. Why? Let me tell you why I didn't like. I can't get my Scott Woods right. voice going right. on, but he will break your shit down and then give you a movie reference yeah, of why mean, it didn't work. And a Prince reference, and by the way. And a Prince reference. Yes. Yes. Why it didn't yes work. You know shit. what? Hey, listen. You know his Prince collection is absolutely ridiculous. Hold on. Can we completely sidetrack from this for one second? Sidetrack. You said something earlier about how people are going to look back and start comparing whether it's whether it's rappers or sports announcers, not rappers, but poets, sports announcers or whatever in this era of hip hop and compare them to hip hop artists. I want you to compare whether it's a poet or whether it's a sports announcer or whatever, like compare randomly a hip hop artist with someone that we know from a commercial standpoint. A hip hop artist. Yeah. So, like, for example, you might say blues reminds you of. Oh, I do this all the time. Let's do it. I, I do this all the time. Um, you know, like, so, it, oh, man. Um, whew. Okay. You threw me on the spot with this one, but yeah, I'm going to throw it out there. I got another hard question. There. So, I'm, okay, I'm going to go I'm gonna go here. I'm going to uh, go here. Shout out to my homeboy Moses West, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about Moses West. Um, Mo, in my opinion. In a lot of ways, oh man, I want to say Mo is. Oh, Devin the dude. Oh. Interesting. Where he gets a lot of respect. Yep. Okay. He gets a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. We love him, but it never pops the way that we believe that it should. Yeah, that's that like I mean, and the thing is, I love Mo. Like honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo was one of the Mo was one of the few poets that it's like, yo, me, I'll call Mo and me and him a rap, and it's not it, maybe twice a year we'll call, we'll have a 30, 40 minute conversation, then we'll move on, and we may not talk for six, seven months. But I, I think that like that's a thing. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? You see a guy like Mo and it's like, he's hardworking. We like Mo. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, honestly, like he's not Rudy Francisco. You know what I mean? Though yeah. he could be. Your favorite he, poet's favorite poet. Right. He's he's Rudy Francisco for the hood. Yeah. Right? He's for the hood. Like, you know what I'm saying? His, his like, you know what I'm saying? His poetry pops in the projects. Yeah. But we need that in our lives. Keep going. Oh, man. Keep going. All right. All right. Let's that see. that one was really interesting to me. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right, I feel you know I'm gonna go I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna go Will Evans right? Okay. I'm gonna go Will Evans, um, and I'm gonna say Will Evans is J Cole, and here's the reason why, because he's very intelligent, right? He's very intelligent, and he speaks on things that are outside the norm. The last time Will made the final stage at IWIPS. Every poem he did was about his family. Like, that's a rare thing to see. Like, he literally, every poem he did was about his family. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's something that's outside the box, kind of like what people say J. Cole is outside the box. I don't know. You don't see that one? I don't see that one just because J. Cole, to me, when I think about J. Cole, I'm like, I'm looking for somebody who talks a lot about, uh, like, deep conscious stuff, but also talks about cheating on his wife like no, <laughs> like no hey saying, will's wife is from cleveland he ain't doing that right. <laughs> he ain't doing that um but that was intriguing yeah keep going keep going keep going keep going oh man um oh okay all right all right uh let's go to south carolina 
Let's talk about Robert Mullins. Let's talk about Moody Black. All right. Let's talk about yeah, Moody Black. government man. Talk, like, that's like, why do I know Robert like, Mullins? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um. Again, I think he's another dude. I'm trying to think who who we say uh, Moody Black. Hmm. A rapper, see for Moody Black, I think honestly, you you have to find a rapper that puts on for their area. Like when you think South Carolina, it's one of the first names you come you, you, that comes to mind, right? And so I think like you have to find the rapper that puts on for the area. Um, and I hate to say this, oh, I don't want to say that. That's that's you know because he makes too many like. I wanted to say Trick Daddy, but I don't think Trick Daddy is. <laughs> no, <laughs> stay, we're staying with Trick Daddy. I'm not going to put Moody in mean, the Moody. I mean, and we're going to make this the excerpt that we play yeah. on social media. Trick <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, Moody Black. <laughs> but, oh, you know, Trick Love the Kids. Trick Love the Kids. Uh, Moody, Moody Love hey, the Kids. Hey, man, listen. All right, so just let's ask the last question then. Uh. Are you ready to freestyle? I'm not ready to freestyle, but you can find me at BlameJG um, on all of your social media, your Instagram, your <laughs> you Twitter, it was all that stuff. And now question. I can say, because yeah, I think that's where you were going. It's like, what else can we know? Where else can we find you? <coughs> right. Yeah. At BlameJG and um, uh, Juggle Avert on Facebook, but at BlameG and that's Snapchat, that's Instagram, that's, uh, that's, that's Snapchat, that's Instagram, that's Twitter. At blame JG, but then you know I, I don't have a choice but to be ready to freestyle. I was not prepared to freestyle when I came in. I'm not much the freestyle artist, but we will go hard. No one ever is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially after we get them liquored up. <laughs> yes. And I'm yeah. lub- very lubricated at this point. All right. Pause. Pause. This <laughs> 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 show is fucking great. <laughs> Season three, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Please make that a sound clip. (laughs) Season three, bitches. Uh, It will be. Jay Ward, you want to tell them how this is going to go? Yes, please tell me how this Uh, goes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Blues is going to start us off. Okay. Then it's going to be me. Okay. It's going to pass off to you. Pass off to me. By the time it gets to you, it'll be no pressure. Okay, no pressure. After you... Jamal's gonna close us out with the greatest freestyle ever Who known the fuck to humankind. Wants to see Jamal, I fade Jamal. Oh, oh man! I stick my dick in the ground and turn the whole world around. I remember Jamal. <laughs> I remember Jamal. Pause. But yeah, like no, I remember Jamal. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> Yep, boys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Hey, All right, okay. Hey, turn me up, though. Hey, hey, turn me up. Hey, turn me up, though. Uh, I can't hear it, though. Can't hear it, though. I can't hear it, though. No, I can't hear it, though. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Thank you. Yo. Yo, freestyle fanatic, gotta have it. Here we go, man. Jack rabbit, rabbit down the hole, yo. I had a blue moon, moon haze. This shit was crazy. Ooh. Crazy terrible. Ah. Never ever give me that shit again. <laughs> Guaranteed, yo, I'm bad with the pen. Uh-huh. Guaranteed, I'm nice with the mic. Uh, let me begin. I'm here with my friends. JG, J Ward, and Jamal. Uh-huh. Shoot, can't forget about the rest of y'all. Do I yeah. bomb? Shit, hell nah. Got a mortgage yeah. and a grand. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed, yo, the things I did back uh-huh. in the day. Shit, would've got me canceled. If he had IG today 94, I was wild as fuck Catch me down at Freak Meek With a couple of freaks Uh, in a Oh, 
What's the thing called? Yeah, it was a, I don't know. Shit, I ran out. Jim Ward, here you go. Let's go. I don't know, but don't ever try to play me. I don't care what you suckers start. It's JG's a juggernaut. We back. We doing it every day like a crime scene. And you know where to find me. Wherever the blood be sparkling out the vein. I be coming through, acting insane. Plus, I'll take a knife, cut it through your head. Just like that. That's where all the brain spreads. Stop, stop, every stop, day. stop, stop. 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 He didn't Stop. get, he didn't get the, that. It wasn't, it wasn't that. Did you see the intensity in his fucking face? Yes. He meant everything. He, he, he meant it. He meant it. He meant it. It was serious. It was serious. I didn't see, I didn't see that. He meant everything. He was, I listen, listen. He was, he was trying to come back off of the Albie Shore joke. That's what it was. He was trying to get the Albie Shore. He, he's like, I don't sing in falsetto. Like, if no. overcorrection was a freestyle, God damn it. Okay. All right. So this is why we said it's going to be very easy for you. Because one of us is just fucking up. The other one gets hella violent. And then it's it's the biggest alley-oop in the world, bro. Oh, man. Yep. JG, you ready? Let's go. All right. Here we go. Yeah. This is JG the Juggernaut. Uh-huh. Drinking Buffalo Trace, taking it to the face. I'm in this weird place, they call it Charlotte. I'm looking for the harlots, the starlets. Somebody to come to the Hilton Garden Inn and show me what it looks like to win. Cause damn it, I got an Emmy. Damn it, I need frenemies. Damn it, I need you in me. Better on top of me. Better yet, don't stop me. Better yet, JG, I'm coming. <laughs> Keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep flowing. Jamal said I got to keep showing, improving. I got to keep it moving. New York City next week. JG, got to keep it all the way street. Uh -huh. All the way hood. I keep it all the way good. Yeah. I love this poetry strip, but I'm straight from the hood. Uh -huh. Let's not get it twisted. I play ball, though. I let them let them know. You can't find me. I'm Waldo. I'm Carmen oh. San Diego. <laughs> Yeah. And they be hating, yo. And I be trying to tell them, it ain't personal. I don't want your money. I just want the honey. Uh -huh. I just want the ladies. Yeah. I want a Mercedes. Uh -huh. But I drive an Acura. Ooh. And I'm getting back at you. Uh -huh. Don't get mad at you. I'm going to laugh at you. Because I don't do freestyles. <laughs> and I don't do battles. No. But I let motherfuckers know. Yeah. Do not tattle. Do no. not tell. No tattle because tattle. I can tell you that uh -huh. we will bail you Ooh. out just so we can fucking kill you. Ooh, yeah. hey. That's some gangster shit. Shit, yeah, <laughs> it is. Like, yo, yo, it's the most gangster shit you could think of on this beat. Right. <laughs> I feel like right. Elmo and Grover would be fighting over this motherfucking beat. Yo, yo Oscar the Grouse would kill this shit right now. <laughs> that's, Elmo that's on the run too. <laughs> oh, shit. Oscar the Grouse would kill this shit right oh, now. God. I mean, seriously, like, oh, y'all realize me real streets. Y'all realize that Jada kisses men. Voicing Oscar the Grouch for the last 20 years, right? No. Y'all ain't noticed that? Listen, listen to their voices. The same fucking voice. <laughs> <laughs> so raspy. <laughs> <laughs>
Right, nigga, sad. We'll bail you out just so we can kill you. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine not have not made a single call? And someone says someone paid your bail. Oh hell no, they didn't. Nigga, I've called zero fucking people. Nah, I'm not going out. But so you got to get out. I'm about to punch you in the face. I'm about to punch this guard in the face. We staying in. Hey, listen, assault on a police officer. I'm gonna stay in. I'm staying in. All right, Jamal's about to fade them all. Right, let's go, Jamal. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Hot heat from the street. This is not cool. Yeah, not cool. It's hot. It's hot from the street. No stops. Yeah. <laughs> it's props. All right. One, two. Okay. Ah, three, four. Oh, shit. Yeah. Five, six. Woo, seven, eight, nigga, nine. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I don't, uh, all right. Yeah. Okay, 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 here we go. Yeah. Some tell me to kick the habit, Woo. but I can't have it, nah. man. I'm a oh shit, fuck, damn it. This is some bullshit. You motherfuckers can't pull shit. Ah. All right, all right. So, uh, so <laughs> shout out. It doesn't. He doesn't even dispatch line. Right, so I'm done. Not one rhyming line. <laughs> so shout out to our listeners. In America. Hey, America. USA. Yeah, shout out to uh, Atlanta. Hey. And Canada. Hey. Shout out to the Ukraine. Ukraine. Shout out your to brain. <laughs> shout out to Latvia. 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 Uh, shout out to uh, motherfuckers in England. Motherfuckers in England. Tell them what we killed them when they in the building. Yeah. All right. Shout out the motherfuckers that listen to us in Spain. In Spain. Oh, in Spain. Spain? Brain. Spain? In the membrane. I'm just making all this shit up. So. <laughs> oh, man. I was give hoping us, this. I knew a Latvian motherfucker on my fucking time. I did. I was hoping a Latvian motherfucker was going to hit me up. Oh, we, yeah. We do have La- a Ukrainian La- 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 is the shit. Shout out to Ireland. Right. Ireland, yes. yes. Uh, Germany. Germany. All right. Germany. Germany. Shout out to Sweden. Yeah. And fucking Macedonia. No, Macedonia. no, shout out to Macedonia. Shout out to Macedonia. We're talking about Macedonia. Yeah. Like, yeah. We are, we're world. We are internationally known and we are known to Throughout rock a microphone. microphone. Because yeah. we get stupid. We mean, I mean outrageous. outrageous. Stay away from me because you're contagious. No, I'm a winner. Boy, no, not a loser. To be, be an MC is, is what, what I, I choose. Uh, ladies love me. Girls adore me. That I mean, even the ones who never, never saw me. Like the way that I ride in the show. The reason why, man, I don't know. So let's go, cuz. Gonzo wrote that shit. <laughs> no, no. Oh. It takes two. Pull it up, pull it up.
you know, you still get your your Albie Shore hook in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Albie Shore be hitting them high Hold notes. Hold on. Hold on. What's up? Did you see what just happened? What? <laughs> did you know what you right at you? I was right at you. Yes, I saw it. Yes, I did. I saw it. Yes, I did. I saw it. Yes, I did. And he should have looked at you. I should have said, I'll be sure, and did a slow head turn. Exactly. Because I'm expecting, like, because if Jay Ward was a singer, he definitely was singing falsetto 99% of the time. Yeah. Like Jay Ward, I'm all alone, <laughs> sitting waiting by the phone. No one can believe me. Girl. How did we let him get away with that for a whole album? I don't know how we let, but it was jamming. Oh we let him get away God. with the whole all album. All I can see now is Jay Ward singing that hook now, all the time. Like now. wakes up in the morning and just singing to himself in the mirror. Like, Want listen, Jay Ward. To love me for me. Love for me. me. For me. <laughs> oh, shit. He just need to let his hair grow out. Right. You, you curl. right. Better not cut any of this shit out. Do you hear me? None of this. All of this stays in. <laughs>